G'day you mob, Pete here, and this is another episode of Aussie English, the number one place for anyone and everyone wanting to learn Australian English. So, today I have a GOSS episode for you where I sit down with my old man, my father, Ian Smithson, and we talk about the week's news, whether locally down under here in Australia or non-locally <laughs> overseas in other parts of the world, okay? And we sometimes also talk about whatever comes to mind, right? If we can think of something interesting to share with you guys related to us or Australia, we also talk about that in the GOSS. So, these episodes are specifically designed to try and give you content about many different topics where we're obviously speaking in English and there are multiple people having a natural and spontaneous conversation in English. So, it is particularly good to improve your listening skills. In order to complement that though, I really recommend that you join the podcast membership or the academy membership at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get access to the full transcripts of these episodes, the PDFs, the downloads, and you can also use the online PDF reader to read and listen at the same time, okay? So, if you really, really want to improve your listening skills fast, Get the transcript, listen and read at the same time, keep practicing, and that is the quickest way to level up your English. Anyway, I've been rabbiting on a bit, I've been talking a bit. Let's just get into this episode, guys. Smack the bird, and let's get into it. All right, so, how's it going? Hey, good to be here. It's been a while. What's going on? Been a while since we've done one of these. I don't need to. No one else knows that though, because we match them. I know they get them on a. They get them on a regular of... basis, but um, that's yeah, it. My beard has grown, so that might so be mine. able to tell that. So I haven't trimmed my moustache in about a week. So I need to start uh, changing what my t-shirts with... between different recordings, so that yeah. I, think I wear the same clothes every yeah, day. <laughs> exactly. I don't. I don't know what happens when you get to fifty something, and I'm way past that, where your moustache hair and your nose hair grows faster than any other hair on your head. Yeah. So you it's just sort of start trimming weird. it. I know. I, I trim about <laughs> once a week usually, but I haven't for a while. So. It sounds like that Billy Connolly joke. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, so we had a story last time that I wanted to get to and we ran out of time because we were mm-hmm. smashing it out. And it was um, about Australia's dingo fence and the changes in landscape that were seen um, on sides where there were dingoes versus where there were no dingoes. Mm. So, I'm going to do my best to kind of remember what, I, what I've written <laughs> down here. I just opened it up and I haven't read through my notes in a, about a month. But so, yeah, the, the dingo fence in Australia was obviously um, put together or, or constructed what in the- I'm going to have a look- 20th century here yes. is 5,600 yeah. kilometres long. or something. something yeah, like it goes that. across yeah. three straight- uh, three states. 150 kilometres traverses the red sand dunes of the Streslecky Desert. Yes. And so, the reason for putting this together, I believe, was to keep dingoes out of pastoral areas yeah. where they had Grazing sheep. Grazing land. Yeah. yeah. Sheep, mostly. So, they were worried, I guess, about the dingoes taking not necessarily full-grown sheep or, or cows or anything like that, but, but the young. Lambs. Right? Are the big problem. Typically yeah. lambs. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, this fence is obviously still there and still- Doing its job to some degree, Mostly. I imagine. There, are, I'm sure there are bits of it that have fallen down, but and um, yeah, it was interesting. I think the basic thing, without going through all of this, the base the basic thing was that they had done some research on it recently, and some satellite photos were showing that there were differences on either side of the fence where there were dingoes and where there were no dingoes. And it turned out the place 
the side of the fence where there were no dingoes was actually suffering ecologically because kangaroos were at such a high abundance that mm-hmm. they were eating out all of yeah, the yeah. all of the plant cover and so it's one of those unforeseen things where you know you you're trying to do something that's positive for humans where you want to get you know the best productivity you can out of your sheep mm-hmm. uh, and you would imagine they're going to be eating the the grass and any other plant material that they can and you think, okay, well, I'll keep the dingoes out. But ironically, by keeping the predator out that may knock off, what, a handful of, of lamb out of your flock, yeah. a, a, you know, a season or something, the kangaroos are coming in and effectively out eating yeah. everything. Yeah. So Not just the sheep, you're, but you're, everything, <laughs> right? Exactly. So, you're so. sort of shooting yourself in the foot. You're protecting yourself from- it's like treating the symptoms, not the- Yeah, and the that's- cause, You're removing right? predators, but increasing competitors. Yeah. And so, it's probably at best neutral. <laughs> yeah, it worked. Yeah. In the sense of dingoes are not eating lambs, but if <laughs> sheep are dying because they have to compete with kangaroos for food, then well, it sort of defeats the purpose. If you can't sell the lambs for as much or the sheep for as much because they don't have as much meat on them- Yeah. Or they're not growing as much wool because they're malnourished because they're yeah. not getting enough food. Then it's kind of like, I mean, you would have to obviously do the maths and work out, is it better to lose a few lambs but have higher quality product, mm. you know, because they're healthier? Um, or do you want uh, a higher quantity but lower quality yeah. at the end of the day because yeah, exactly. they're malnourished? Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. I just found this a really interesting, um, you know, finding. And they were showing, yeah, that the it's. I think it's being found more and more. In, in modern times, right, that humans as a whole have pretty much gone through every single environment and wiped out the large predators. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much everywhere. I mean, you know, yeah. we've still got things like the great white shark. Sharks in a lot of places, although they're under threat. Yeah. Uh, like there are uh, lions, lions in um, southern and eastern Africa, I think, are the exception to that. Yeah. But most big cats are struggling yeah. population-wise. Uh, lions seem to be the- I think possibly because they're- um, they're gregarious. They hang around in teams, mm-hmm. <laughs> prides of lions, uh, makes them harder to get rid of. Um, but they also just seem to be ubiquitous in Southern Africa. So, whereas it- everything else seems to, like tigers are really struggling in Asia. Um, others yep. like snow leopards and things are really suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, cheetahs went through a different problem, an evolutionary problem with a population crash a few thousand years ago. And their problem now is not so much humans interfering with them, but, you know, lack of genetic diversity. So. Well, that was that crazy thing we were learning about when we were doing uh, biology at, at university that you can, I think, similar to even maybe Tassie devils are going through a similar sort of thing, hence their cancer mm. that you can transmit from one an- animal to another, which is one of the only contagious cancers, I think, out there. But with cheetahs, you can actually transplant skin grafts yeah, skin from graft. one cheetah to the so other. so similar because they're genetically. So, their immune yeah. system doesn't recognize yes, They're effectively foreign. all like brothers and sisters. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. And it, it blows my mind too when you look into where cheetahs were originally, their distribution, right? Like, I think there's actually a population of them in Iran. Yeah. Saudi and Arabia, Iran. Yeah. And they were East. even into, yeah. I think, potentially parts of Southeast Europe. Like, you know, oh, that sort of area. Be, yeah, yeah, Turkey and places like that. It may well have been. It's yeah, just crazy, right? And lions too. I think there were lions throughout there as well. The, the um, Roman Empire used to get them and they didn't get them from sub-Saharan Africa. I don't yeah, think exactly. right down in the south. Yeah. They were getting them from up the north. Mm. But yeah, it is. It's funny. These studies, I think I remember um, 
Ewan Ritchie, I interviewed him previously on the podcast. He's a professor from Deakin University. He is. Just became a professor this year, so congrats, Ewan. <laughs> a full professor. Um, but he did. He does a lot of work on dingoes and ecology. And my supervisor from when I was doing my master's degree, um, Tim Jessup, was doing a lot of stuff on Komodo dragons. And I think these these sort of ecologists are finding again and again and again that where you remove the top predators because humans think they're a danger- or that they're directly competing with humans for, you know, say, your sheep and everything, then it actually ends up doing a great deal more damage because it degrades the um, the habitat. Yes. Right? And yeah. one of the best examples was, I think, is it Yellowstone, where they reintroduced uh, wolves? Yes. And they showed that it changed the course of rivers. Have you seen it? There's a documentary on it, I think, yeah, that, that's yeah. on um, Netflix or YouTube. But effectively, what had happened was that I think humans had sort of just hunted wolves out of Yellowstone Yellowstone National Park in the United States of America. Yeah. And then the deer and moose and all the other sort of, you know, uh, herbivores were just having at it, wreaking havoc on on the natural environment, yeah, like right. overeating, overgrazing. Yeah. Lakes and riverbanks. That's destroying the yeah. riverbanks because they were no longer afraid of- being predated upon, right? Yeah. They'd become sort of naive and didn't have to worry about <laughs> exactly. being constantly on the move and looking yeah. around and their numbers had exploded. And the studies I remember too from biology was that you end up with sicker animals too in the population because they don't get weeded out. Mm. And so, when the wolves were reintroduced back into Yellowstone, you started getting healthier populations of deer, I think that the studies were sort of particularly looking at. And that the deer were then constantly being moved on. Yes. You know, they couldn't just yeah. sit in a single place and completely destroy it in terms of eating everything yes. and, yeah. and just trampling the ground. And so, it was really cool where I think they did follow-ups of these areas and showed how by putting the wolves back into that area, you regenerate all of the, the ecology and the diversity, the biological diversity that you need there to have a healthy environment. Yeah, look, it's a sort of an old established principle of um, community ecology that top predators are extremely important for maintaining the balance of all sorts of other things that go on underneath them. Yeah. While they may not be, you know, clearly they're not eating plants and they might not be eating little animals and things, but the fact that they are eating the larger herbivores and therefore maintaining, uh, at least controlling the population size of those, means that other environmental damage is not happening and therefore other smaller animals are, uh, are able to you know, survive in their little microhabitats. And uh, as soon as you remove those top predators, the big herbivores suddenly explode mm-hmm. and then they start damaging the rest of the environment and everything else suffers. So it is one of those weird ones where you uh, you think, oh, yeah, look, if we just remove a few sharks from- Yeah, what's the harm? From the sea, what's the harm? You know, you know, and then you realise that sharks are actually eating- uh, some of the other fish that are you know, controlling populations of other things and so on, and then it, it just sort of all gets out of whack. Well, and Kosciuszko National Park is a big, big example of that with horses, right, at the moment. Yeah. I think horses, deer, and goats are a big issue up there mm-hmm. where they just have no natural predators. Yeah. And so, they breed like crazy and are just destroying the ground. Also, because I think all of those animals are hooved, right? Yes. So, the soil isn't used to being compacted by their hooves in Australia. And so, a lot of the plants can't handle when the soil's been compacted and pushed down. And and they don't recover from trampling either. Yeah, exactly. And so, it's funny. What do you think of the Australians who are kicking up such a stink 
about us wanting to remove horses and by remove a lot of the time that means cull because yeah. it's just impractical well, to try yeah. and catch 10,000 brumbies yeah, exactly. in the forest. Yeah. Um, but it, do, you, do you find that it's kind of, I mean, we probably talked about this before in the goss, but it, it seems ironic to me that you'll have these people who kind of think cute and furry um, deserves protection whether or not it's Be native. Cute Be cute and furry. But we don't give a shit about the native animals. No, effectively, exactly. which are being indirectly affected or directly affected by this. Like the um, broadtooth rat was a good example. It's this yes. really cute rat that looks like a guinea pig that just eats um, grass. Effectively, it's it's a herbivore, mm. herbivorous rat. One of the only, I think, the only one hundred percent herbivorous rat in Australia. And it lives in the same areas, but it, it makes these kind of like burrows through the grass undergrowth that just end up getting completely trampled. Yeah, yeah. And it's a gorgeous little native animal that, you know, people would love if they knew about it. But people would much prefer to think, oh, you know, we need horses here because it's, you know, they're yeah. cute. They've been here for so long, you know, whatever, 200 years. Yeah. yeah what history. Exactly. Whereas yeah. this mouse has been here for a few million years. Yeah. But wh- why do you think people get like that? Oh, uh, well- I- Horses are a bit different from most things because I think there's, you know, horses and humans have had thousands of years of relationship of domestication, using them for agriculture, using them as pets, using them for uh, entertainment with, you know, horse racing, uh, using them for pulling, you know, vehicles. Mm. So, I think there is this long established relationship between humans and horses. So, many people who have never even owned a horse sort of have a special place in their heart, I think, for, for horses as some sort of noble- Beast. To, to pause you there, that it is just true. Like, and it's so weird that we, you could argue we have the exact same analogous relationship with um, cows, mm-hmm. with goats, with dogs, with cats. And yet the average person would probably not kick up the same kind of stink if you were talking about culling wild dogs. Yeah. Or culling goats or culling oh, no, um, exactly. bulls or culling yeah. cats. They'd yeah. be like, oh, go, have at it. But when it's horses, yeah, it's yeah. different. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't explain it, really. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it is- it's, it's one of those things where you- the distinction between um, conservation and animal rights activists- uh, where animal rights activists, and I'm not playing them down generically, but are often fall into very specific, short-sighted views of the world of, yeah, we're going to save the horses and the you know, mountain horses. Now, mm-hmm. the mountain horses don't need saving. They're actually overpopulated. Um, well, they, they need saving from themselves. Exactly. Because they're exactly. eating themselves yeah, and starving. Yeah. It's like, I mean, there have been, you know, not in the last- couple of decades, but previously there used to be culls of koalas yeah. in some locations. Because they were out eating the trees. They're out eating the trees. And because they're they're so specific in their diet that they <laughs> they can't just get up and move. Yeah. You know, kilometers they go up. away. They effectively <laughs> live in little, you know, ecological islands. Um, and so they can't just sort of, oh well there's you know too much competition here. We'll get up and you know look for another place. Uh, so, they end up just eating themselves out and dying. And so, that meant them effectively becoming emaciated, malnourished, exactly. and just falling out of the trees and dead. And suffering from disease and so on. And dying a horrible, um, slow and, death. And so much this, worse than a bullet. Exactly. Or, or however so, they and look, a, lot of that, a lot of that culling was uh, capture and release, moving them to other areas uh, rather than okay. shooting. But yep. there were occasions, I, I think, where they were shot. Now, that's a, a, a side. But um, people didn't sort of complain much about that because that's they looked weird. at that at going- well, yes, there's an ecological reason to do this, but the same argument for horses just doesn't do it. 
Uh, well, and they're not even native. And yeah. and look, I think there's also a. Um, I really hesitate to do it, but it's almost <laughs> like the um, American thing about the right to have guns. Is this? I have the right to have. I have horses the right to have my, horses in, in my, my universe. <laughs> Um, that you know that they, they are part my of product, my part of the yeah exactly I they're part of the mountain them. cattlemen. I just want to know they're there. Exactly. Just make sure they're there. Yeah. So yeah. can we call them and just tell you they're still there? Yeah. Is that good enough? <laughs> so yeah, I think there is that sort of yeah. Well, they're part of our history. Yeah, yeah. We want to keep them and go buy it, a horse. I know it becomes tunnel visioned. Yeah. Um, go buy so, a horse. Yeah. I I don't understand it. Uh, I can't imagine making that argument for any other animal. No. I've like we've always had dogs, so I like knowing that dogs are out in the forest Wild running dogs a market and, killing you know, things. Is, yeah. <laughs> it horses just, don't kill anything. Well, they actually the do. It's the feeling. It's the vibe of the Australian environment. Yeah. You know, camels. I just need to know there are camels out there in the desert. I never yeah. go to the desert. Never don't like animals. Don't, don't like, own them. I don't like them. <laughs> but I want to know that they're there. Uh, yeah, anyway, so it was it was a good study <laughs> yes. about dingoes. Mm. Do you think that that fence will ever get removed? Do you think it'll get torn down or is it still, I mean, oh, from your look, I don't limited know. knowledge, I don't, having uh, an effect? Yeah, I, it seems to be having an effect. Mm. Um, as you suggested, though, the effect is probably negative. Yeah. Um, again, though, translating uh, environmental science into environmental action policy. Uh, by government is often quite difficult. Particularly in this case, because it runs across three states. So, you would have to have Queensland, New South Wales and South Australia all agree to do the same thing because you can't go, right, well, Queensland's going to tear it down. Well, and so, well, I'm sure those dingoes don't cross state borders. You know? <laughs> well, they'll just be sitting at the edge just going be sitting around the, at the corner edge. of the fence. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're in. We're in. Woohoo. Welcome to Queensland. I always wondered uh, that. I'd seen some photos of the, uh, the great- you know, the Great Wall in China mm. when it gets into the ocean. And, I mean, I guess there were probably people manning the war, a wall yeah. and keeping people away. But I was always like, why don't the people just, just go the into the water and get, just go yeah, around the edge yeah, of the- Row a little dinghy around the corner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? We're there. Just walk. Yes. Anyway, all right. Good episode, guys. If Don't forget, if you want the uh, transcripts for these episodes, guys, and the members-only episodes, make sure that you sign up for the Premium Podcast or the Academy. And for everything else, check out Aussie English. See you later. Bye. Alrighty, you mob, thank you so much for listening to or watching this episode of The Goss. If you would like to watch the video, if you're currently listening to it and not watching it, you can do so on the Aussie English channel on YouTube. You'll be able to subscribe to that. Just search Aussie English on YouTube. And if you're watching this and not listening to it, you can check this episode out also on the Aussie English podcast, which you can find via my free Aussie English podcast application on both Android and iPhone. You can download that for free or you can find it via any other good podcast uh, app that you've got on your phone, Spotify, podcast from iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it is. I'm your host, Pete. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a ripper of a day and I will see you next time. Peace.